Hi, I'm Dr. Emmanuel Aiko. The early signs of a heart attack can vary. The most common include squeezing across the chest, a feeling of unease, and a sense that something just isn't right. It can be easy to dismiss the early signs of a heart attack as the symptoms don't always feel severe. It's never too early to call 999 and describe your symptoms. Your NHS is here for you. Well, look at this! Here's the guy here just in the nick of time! What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir! Ain't we just! What's up? This is we! What? You got a prescription for this? Yeah. Where is it? Uh, oh, I, 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 I should take your ass, dear. You know that? For what? I, For what? Look at this! That's just not my cigarette. This cigarette weed! If the lieutenant is indeed a woman, as she claims to be, then, my friend, she is suffering from the worst case of hemorrhoids I have ever seen! That's why Roger Pedactor is dead! He found Captain Winky! Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako and I'm joined by Baby Hulk right here. Say, baby, say, say hello, Baby Hulk. <laughs> He's gun shy. <laughs> Hi, I'm producer Dave, and I'm just going to welcome Baby Hope to the show. Yes. See, he was just before we started recording, he was all smash happy and whatnot. And then now he's like, got the microphone. He's like, oh, is it my turn to talk? Oh, hello. Hello, everybody. You want to say hi? You want to say hello? All right. So <laughs> we've got to, don't worry, you're not going to be listening to Baby Hope. We've got a bumper episode today. We've got a friend of the show, big friend of the show. Uh, she she literally should just, she she every week we should just get her on because she will always have something brand new to talk to us about. Uh, Miss Jenna Suru is coming back on the episode with us to talk about her latest uh, endeavors in the film world. So she'll be talking to us about that. And straight after that, in our spotlight session, we'll be talking with comedian McLarry. I will be talking with comedian McLarry, where we talk about some of his comedy exploits and we're going to bring back with him top five favorite comedy films. So I got him to dig deep and come up with five of his favorite comedy films. And we'll be going through that. So let us know if you agree or disagree with his choices. I, I think he had a whole range of films to pick from. Um, and he was very narrow because I think I surprised him with those questions. But uh, yeah, you'll see what I mean when we get to the spotlight section. So without any further ado, let's jump straight into film and TV news. <laughs> To 
to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And my day is always, always brightened whenever we have this guest who comes in and talks to us. And it's and she's one of the reasons why I really miss having the in-person sessions that we normally used to have where we go into the studio and she'll come in and she'll make us laugh and tell us all the fun stuff that she's doing. I, I really, really miss her. Please tell us your name and tell us what you've been doing for the last how many years that we haven't seen you. Thank you so much, Marcus. And thank you, producer Dave. I'm Gina Suru. And I also miss your studio. I remember when we had this amazing uh, last show for Valentine's Day before the pandemic. And now we, we really have to make it all happen again. Um, yes, uh, that, if... that glamorous, sparkly dress that you had <laughs> on, is it, it pops up every now and again on, on my phone, just like saying, hey, do you remember the time? It's like, yes, I remember a time when I was- Exactly. <laughs> when, we, when we were innocent and before the pandemic and yes. didn't know what was going to happen. Yes. Uh, I mean, to uh, but I'm also excited about the future and thank you so much for mentioning it's been it's been really crazy because I just um, I just flew back from um, from the Silicon Valley and Los Angeles where um, my um, rom-com my period rom-com you guys know really well which is called the golden age for those who are listening uh, was screening as a spotlight for the 33rd edition of Academy Award qualifying CineQuest and their audience were incredible it was such a beautiful time yes that was the that was the last thing that we spoke about before you uh before we i mean the last time you came on the show you were talking about cinequest and you how you were going to be uh premiering there all like stacks and stacks of great news about the golden age uh the fact that it's a an academy award qualifying film festival uh for those people who are not in the film industry uh, this this is huge because there are a selected num a select number of film festivals. It's not just every film festival that you know you get your film in and you get you know uh, you you can qualify for Academy Awards. There are a very small group of film festivals that you can premiere your film at, and then you can be qualified to be considered for Academy Awards. Obviously, you know the Academy Awards has an even tighter contingency, a tighter. Uh, um, criteria, but to get into those film festivals alone is such a big deal. Jenna, we're so proud of you that uh, Large Door was able to make it to CineQuest. Tell us, what was the experience like? I can only like say great things about it, really. Um, well, first, as, as you can mention, Marcus, it's Academy Award qualifying. And what's really incredible about it also is that it's, um, it's based in the Silicon Valley in their incredible California theater, thousand seats, CineQuest is top 10 festivals in the world. And they do not only uh, award filmmakers, they also award engineers, like for instance, Martin Cooper, the inventor of a cell phone. And I love that because I feel, you, you guys know, I also run Paris International Film Festival and I feel as filmmakers and artists really, we are promoting and voicing uh, change, uh, making stories and what's happening in reality. And uh, I love that CineQuest also works engineers because in a way it shows how much of an impact we can have when we all work together. Uh, in terms of actual experiences there at uh, on the venue, uh, it was 
just incredible to see that for the screenings of the golden age, um, the audience I really were was expecting as a writer and a director and a producer when, when writing the film was to write this film, the golden age for both, um, for like all generations. So really there was the audience like 50 years old plus, very Francophile and also the youth um, the sparkling youth who is also extremely interested in foreign cinema. And I, I really pick up on, on this experience um, how much the, the crowd laughed, you know, because it's a romantic comedy uh, and it's also about change and the artistic journey. And I remember just the, 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 the thing I cannot like get out of my head is an incredible crowd laughing and which is really good because it's a rom-com but you see it's like <laughs> it, it, it's beautiful to hear. I was going to ask so for people who uh, who have not caught you know caught any of your episodes and have not heard about Large Door just give us a quick synopsis of Large Door at the Golden Age. Two desperate people, uh, two people desperate to change the world um, embark on an artistic and provocative journey through the little streets of Saint-Tropez, a village in the south of France. And the question is, how far are they willing to go to make that transformation happen that they are so looking forward to? So basically it's boy meets girls, but it's American boy, it's American producer meets French actress and nothing really happens as respect. <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a it's a it's a throwback to when because when I watched it, it was like a throwback to those uh, 1950s, 1960s movies that I used to watch back in the day because uh, it obviously set in Paris and you've got the very whimsical uh, Parisian atmosphere watching it and really because the the amount of work and love and effort that you put into it shows on screen which is the reason why we're so proud of it. it's doing amazing work you know it's, it's doing amazingly across the world um that it, it, just just before we wrap up on uh, large door just want to ask you a couple of questions about the film festivals that you're getting involved in you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Ako. and i'm producer dave and we are speaking with friend of the show filmmaker film director uh, film festival director Jenna Suru, uh, who's just been talking to us about Large Door, which is uh, pre which is uh, premiered at the at CineQuest Film Festival, which is an Academy Academy Award uh, qualifying film festival, which is fantastic. Um, uh, Jenna, just want to ask for people who want to watch the film, do they have has it been picked up by a distributor that they can then pick it up either online or uh, in the shops? How can people get to watch this film? Absolutely. So there are actually a couple of announcements on their way to see uh, the Golden Age um, in the coming weeks and months. I cannot mention them now, but we do have um, an Instagram, Facebook and Twitter page. It's always the same social media handle at Lashdor Film. And we really love hearing about our audiences, but also anyone because the, um, the distribution we are so excited about is worldwide. It's international. Uh, it's going to, I believe, really access those audiences who truly will be interested in, in the golden age and be inspired by it. And, um, and I, I really want to also thank 
Saint-Tropez because as you and producer Dave know, right, Marcus, um, I work a lot more with them and they really supported me as a very, very young filmmaker. And I think it's the beauty of also collaboration and it's important to always remember where we are from and who helped us because this is how, it's a long journey. So, and um, and, and they're amazing. Like right now, uh, you know, the, the tribute documentary, they asked me to direct and write about Galabrie screening, but also like as a joke, but like not so much, we're like, so when is the golden age two coming up, you know? <laughs> it's like, I love it. It's, it's, it's just, uh, and I think it's beautiful. It's beautifully phrased because we are all together on this journey. So it's, and you have been, Marcus with producer Dave are like the very few of their very first championers. We were still in post-production when I was in your studio for the first time. And it's great that we are partnering now with festivals and Paris and, and so much more on its way. And speaking of festivals, you I, I mentioned earlier, you are the, uh, di the, the director of the Paris International Film Festival. Let's talk about that before we jump into the big news about the other film festival. We'll talk about that in a second. Paris International Film Festival. First of all, for people who've never heard of, of it, what is the Paris International Film Festival? The Paris International Film Festival is the one festival in Paris which is focused on international cinema. Um, there are not many festivals in Paris. Uh, what I really enjoy working with Paris um, and, and our team uh, in our beautiful cinema in the heart of Paris, just by Notre Dame Cathedral, is that we are truly passionate to promote and voice uh, any Francophile cinema. So we screen about half of the films we screen, we screen about 60 plus films every year. Um, we screen about half of the films are from America. So we have a, a really um, a true Franco-American friendship and also a lot from the UK, like um, about 30% of the films we screen are from Europe, a lot from the UK, a lot from Spain, uh, Italy, Germany. And really we always end up screening films from all over the world. And what I'm really excited about is that we do not select on gender. We do not, we do not discriminate even positively, but half of our films are made by female filmmakers. And this is also, as you say, thanks to the golden age, which really changed my life. And also thanks to beautiful Paris and, and just the way we, we work, I guess, just attracts uh, voices who feel welcome, which is really important. And just the fact we're by Notre Dame Cathedral, which is historically the first place where the host Droit d'Asile, you know, for any refugee, it's just a beautiful message. So I'm excited about that. Um, we are coming back after the pandemic in a bigger way. Uh, I think it's important to have something going on online for those, those who cannot, you know, who cannot show up caring or um, any kind of compromising. Uh, but we are really excited because uh, we will be back um, with uh, a stronger edition, anniversary edition with new partners uh, and also uh, new awards and new prizes and perks. Um, we are really excited because um, we, we understand many festivals didn't survive this pandemic. And we know it's our responsibility to come back and make sure everyone has a great time, but also a meaningful time. And it's set during um, between Sundance and EFM, so basically around Valentine's Day. 
So it's yeah. easy to remember. And we, and we loved uh, actually being able to participate, uh, watching some of the, we, we got to interview great filmmakers who in the next five to 10 years are definitely going to be making uh, waves. Uh, Alex Liu with Ace Explanation, which is currently blowing up in America at the moment. You had Serena Ryan and Ethan Iskow with High Score. Uh, we got to meet um, uh, uh, Louise Breeth, uh, Briggs Anderson with her film The Pill uh, and a whole, bunch, whole number of, of great filmmakers, crop of filmmakers that you are discovering and sort of not necessarily discovering. No, in fact, yes discovering and you're putting their work out into the world giving the accolades and i you know and we're especially screenwriters and whatnot with some people who have won some certain awards like best screen uh screen, screenwriter feature screen i'm not not going to mention any names or whatever because obviously no I'm don't mention any names but also mm -hmm. don't forget that we, we we also interviewed the filmmaker who whose short was nominated for an oscar as well we mustn't yes. forget that absolutely absolutely hello could you Exactly, I like it too. Uh, directed by Maria Brundle and produced by Film Gerbet. And uh, I know she's, I know Maria is insanely busy. Yeah, it's beautiful. She's now part of the Academy, which is amazing. She's an Academy member and so is the producer. Absolutely, absolutely. And we we first heard about that film from uh, the Paris International Film Festival. So, and only in, you've, you've only been running for about two, three years top. So that is a fantastic news about the Paris International Film Festival. Cannot wait for next year's crop of artists to come up, um, and uh, and yeah, we'll interview them, get to know them, and then when they become big and famous, we can say we interviewed them because of Jenna Suru, absolutely, and because of the, the Paris International Film Festival. So, if people want to uh, put their films, if they want to submit uh, films, uh, scripts, etc., in to be in competition for the Paris International Film Festival, do you have any sort of dates that they need to start preparing? to get their stuff to you? Yes, actually our regular deadline just passed. Um, and we have, I believe we have two more deadlines coming up. And usually uh, we notify the filmmakers just before Christmas, because it's a beautiful Christmas gift. Uh, and um, thank you for mentioning because, um, you know, as you said, Alex, Louise, uh, Serena, they've been amazing friends. And we, we do not just screen films, we, are, we really are a community and together we're also lobbying to this industry to make it more healthy. And also all those films, a lot of them are international. And here we're talking about Paris, we're talking about France and France is not America, it's not the UK. And um, it's a very important country because French speaking, I was on this panel with a distributor of over summer in Hollywood and she was mentioning that uh, you know, like you have to get your film distributed in France. I mean, it's up to you, but there are thousands of French speaking countries. It's like Spanish. She was basically highlighting Span Spanish and French speaking territories. But France is not, is not another country. And at the festival, we really champion these voices, encourage them so that they can really break in. Because um, those filmmakers may be known somewhere else, but we, we do host a lot of, you know, world and international premieres and a lot of European premieres after success in America in particular. But it's really important to have this opportunity to make sure your film is taken care of and really reaches their, their its proper audiences. Absolutely. And it's, it's made film freeway is best. We also have social media handles 
website, we have a YouTube channel with all these incredible inspiring voices from our filmmakers. It's all on Paris Intel Fest. Um, and we, we, we watch all the submissions we receive, as you know. So uh, you do not need to, you know, come to us through a sales agent or, or you know, any third party. We watch every and all films. So for those who want to get their stuff to you, Film Freeway is the best website to, to go, get on there and search for the Paris International Film Festival. Go in there, uh, submit your short films, your feature films, your documentaries, your TV shows, your web series, because I know you had Riddles of Zoom on there as well in, in competition, your scripts, etc. Go on to Film Freeway. Uh, if you're a filmmaker, you would pretty much already know that website anyway. So you go in, submit to Paris International Film Festival. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we're here with the fabulous Jenna Suru, who is about to tell us more about the fact that she has become jury president for the Fil Female Filmmakers Film Festival Berlin. Tell us, it's such a huge honor to be, to be uh, um, nominated as a film jury president. First of all, tell us about the, the Female Filmmakers Film Festival Berlin and how you've actually uh, come part of that program. Thank you. It's such a great honor and it's an absolute uh, delight to support our colleagues in Berlin. So how it happened, actually, I, I, I just, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was jury serving as jury president on the imaginary uh, film festival in Paris. So it's another festival in Paris uh, which is in its 12th year, which highlights on poetic content and imaginary content. So lots of animation, uh, only short films. Uh, and so then it's funny because then I, I did have a few more festivals tell me, hey, do you want to be jurist president for us? And I'm like, uh, well, sure. Because <laughs> I think, I believe, I believe it's important to give back to the industry. And I really love um, the executive director, Nikki, and uh, the founder of the female filmmakers in Berlin, Natalie, I think they are um, extremely uh, professional and um, they're really good at creating uh, work from female identifiers uh, and, and stories of females. And this jury is amazing. Um, on board, uh, there is Tracy Adley, uh, the founder of uh, the Valley Film Festival, where my work also screened in the past, and, and more amazing jurors. And it's just, it's beautiful to celebrate female work. Um, we shouldn't have to do it, but realistically, I think, um, you know, my, my film, uh, my debut feature just screened at an Academy Award Qualifying Festival. So I just want to be present and make sure I give back to this industry. Something that's really inspiring to me is to see successful people uh, get back to their communities and just kind of like bring the elevator up. Um, so as much as I have the time, I dedicate some work for that. And I have to say the films are incredible. So it's happening at the moment um, at Kinomente and with great partners. And, and I cannot be present in, in person, but um, the founder, executive director, filmmakers, and some of the jurors will be present in person there. And I can only recommend you to go and see for yourself. Yes, and that's in Berlin. It's going from the 5th to the 9th of October. Uh, it, that it's great news just to hear how much how how in demand how so much in demand you are because obviously your skills your talent uh, your experience 
uh, can be shared with a whole bunch of other people who want to sort of emulate you and follow in your footsteps. Where we we just feel great to be hanging on to your coattails as you fly and we fly. <laughs> That's basically what it is. And then the next time we get to be in Paris, we're going to do the Shoot the Breeze show in Paris with Jenna Suru. We don't know when that's going to be yet. As soon as I can get Dave to today to, to move away from the keyboard and, uh, and get his act together so we can fly out to Paris, that'd be good. The champagne is in the fridge. There you go. The champagne is in the fridge. Yeah. I'm waiting for it. Name producer Dave. Why don't you? <laughs> yeah, so producer you Dave, both. come on. Come on, man. What's, what's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> Jenna, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on our show and just telling us more and more about the stuff that you're doing. Um, do you have any uh, any film projects that you're working on, uh, any documentaries that you're working on that you'd like to share with us? Yes, right now I'm excited to be finishing development for a second rom-com. Well, admittedly, I do have a passion for rom-com. The one uh, called Quatre Etoiles, it's a TV pilot I wrote during the pandemic, was optioned recently by a French producer. And the one I'm finishing now is called For the Love of Music. Uh, but we do need more romance and we do need more comedy. So it's easy. Yeah. It's easy to play. <laughs> yeah. Producer Dave, would you like more romance in your life? <laughs> who wouldn't come on who wouldn't exactly. I'm, I'm a cynic i don't care for romance uh, at all i like action i like uh i like i like action movies that's what i want i know i'm kidding yeah I, you want marvel uh, yes me, me, marvel and i marvel and i need a little bit more romance in our lives because the romance is dying between myself and the mcu at the moment and it needs a nice little injection so Suru, you need to get yourself to disney and put your case forward and say look i have the next marvel rom-com that will just put the spark back into into the mcu and i could say absolutely hands-on i want i want to be part of that so excellent genesis thank you very much for joining us and we hope to speak to you soon merci merci infiniment thank you so much you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Ako. i'm producer dave and this is Baby Hulk saying hello. Say hello. <laughs> there you go. All right. So that was our conversation with Jenna Suru. Let's jump straight into Spotlight with Mick Larry. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm here with a comedian who's going to tell me his name and how long he has been in stand-up comedy. So when you're ready, tell us your name and how long you've been doing stand-up comedy for. So Marcus, uh, I'm Mac Larry, or rather that's my stage name, um, because my government name sucks. <laughs> uh, I've been doing stand-up since October 2019 um, but so it's still early days but obviously there was a lockdown in the middle uh, so I didn't do anything for about 18 months so I find it's easier to go with gig numbers than actual time oh, um, sure. I'm, I'm that school of people you know the sure, lucky so ones <laughs> if you're going to go with gig numbers what would you say about 78 or so now so still like early doors um, yeah still still far more than I have so uh, so <laughs> Uh, so straight up, I ask all the comedians this question: Why choose stand-up comedy as something to do uh, as your passion? Oh man, I've always loved stand-up. Eh? I've been watching stand-up since I was little. Like I was watching, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy Raw and Richard Pryor and that kind of stuff. Um, it's just something that I've 
admired and always wanted to do but was always too scared to do to be honest if i'm perfectly <laughs> honest with myself um yeah and then uh i i've married and i've got a daughter and then i was kind of like teaching my daughter things and how not to be afraid and all that kind of stuff and then i was like you know what there's this thing i've been wanting to do pretty much my whole damn life but i've been too afraid to do it uh and so i just told my wife in 2019 let me just do a course or something so i can learn some basics and then uh yeah give it a go and that's how i ended up doing excellent and just as a spin-off from that um with your decision to start doing stand-up comedy uh what steps did you take to start learning how to do stand-up comedy um so that was uh i did a class uh with um I think it's backyard and the people that do it there. And then uh it was six classes. You basically go in from day one. You're supposed to either come in with something where they help you um put together a five minute set. You test it out uh pretty much every week or every other week, and then you finish off with a uh uh what do they call it? Like a graduation ex expo show thing. Uh, where everybody it's at backyard so it's still one of the biggest gigs i've ever done <laughs> um and uh and yeah you you run from there basically on your own and do your thing yeah backyard is uh is a it's a great comedy comedy venue uh a, a guest of the show a friend of the show dave whitney he's a comedian he performs there quite a bit does host a lot of gay, uh, gigs there as well so uh, backyard is definitely something that is a it's it's a prestigious place to perform, which is great that you be able to get on that stage in front of a live crowd and perform in front of them. So it's it's fantastic because that's what every stand up comedian is looking forward to, right? Looking is looking to get those gigs, whether it's open mic or as long as you're standing on on a stage with a crowd to be able to test your jokes. That's pretty much what the aim is. Um, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and we're here with McLarry, comedian, who is, uh, we're going to be grilling him about some of his experiences in stand-up, as well as some of his taste in film. So what I want to do is I want to sporadically drop in, because I asked you before the show to give us five of your favorite comedy movies right so let's mm -hmm. see if we can work through we'll go from number five and work our way to number one so let's start with the first one what is your favorite your number five favorite comedy movie uh when you asked well when you spoke about it briefly earlier i was like oh man this is such a difficult thing to do because for one i don't actually watch that many comedy movies after thinking about it i was like whoa i actually reserve most of my movies for like action or fantasy or whatever um, but the things that came to mind were some older ones. So like, I like Jim Carrey as a comedy actor. Um, the mask, I think came up as, that's probably my, no, I say maybe Ace Ventura, when nature calls the sequel, it's probably number five. Um, okay. So that's, that's funny that you went with when nature calls rather than the, the original, uh, Ace Ventura pet detective. What, what, let me, let's, let's dive into that. Why did you pick? When Nature Calls over uh, Pet Detective? Because I have a theory as to why you picked it, but I want to hear from your, your, yourself first. Why'd you pick that? I actually think the original's better, so it's high up on my list. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, as, as with most things, the sequels or the, you know, the, the trilogies and they love sequels and trilogies and series nowadays, um, the original tends to be like, like the original Matrix, right? That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, 
and still even though i've watched all of them now it's it's still one of you know the original still the original of course um okay. <clears throat> so ace ventura when nature calls is your number five what's your number four um four would probably be the rush hour two Rush Hour 2. Uh, Again, you go yeah. with the sequel and then you're saving the first one. But it was like, wow, Rush Hour 3 just fell off that list completely. Like, Yeah, no, no, no. no. Rush Hour, couldn't couldn't even remember the plot of Rush Hour 3. I'm like, no, no, no. But the <laughs> first two. And the, the thing I love about the Rush Hours is it's a kind of humor that is not you know, it hasn't aged well, but also it has. <laughs> like you, you can't make movies like those anymore, but also you don't necessarily want to, but you can still appreciate yes, what it, we've done. Exactly. It, you, you're right. It's it's, got, it's done that full circle where you will never be able to go back and make the same jokes. There's that. And Rush Hour 2, um, obviously the favorite part of Rush Hour 2 is the Chris Tucker bit where he's in that monastery and he's doing the very old tired guy. You, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, so, who, who is you? I know mm. I you. And then, yeah, so it's a very old guy, but they do it very well. So that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's pull back from the movies. Let's jump into some comedy topics uh, for now. So, uh, from what you've been learning, from what you from the stand up you've done, from learning about stand up comedy, uh, I'm hoping you've been given and you've experimented with how to do a great opening, right? So what kind of tips would you give to an aspiring comedian uh, as tips on how to open strong? Um, I found for me, the best opener isn't prepared. Um, so what I try and do in my in my shows is while I'm, you know, before, uh, assuming I'm not opening, but while I'm uh, waiting and watching and observing the other comedians to think about an observation either about the room or about one of the other jokes that somebody has said and, and a follow-up or a tag or something on that. Because what it does is it immediately brings you into the room, right? You establish your presence. It's now not somebody that they're seeing on TV or whatever. You you know, you're there with them, one of them uh, going on the same journey with them. And uh, hopefully it's funny. <laughs> and if it is funny, uh, it's extra funny because it's, it, it falls off the back of, you know, whatever was happening before. Um, even if, even if I, I'm up first, I would like, I've been in really small rooms that are like dungeon like, right. And this is London. So the number of white to non-white people is not, you know, the ratio is not the same. So I'm like, wow, I'm in a dungeon with a bunch of white people. I'm completely comfortable right now. You know, I'll do something like that. So, uh, I think the best openers I've had thus far have been about commentary around the situation, the environment, uh, the night, and then, you know, do the rest of my stuff. Uh, by by far, the best gigs I've ever had have had an opener like that. Um, and it just tended to work quite well for me, really. That's excellent. It's an excellent... Uh, uh, the, I love the bits that you, you just mentioned, especially with regards to sitting in the audience or when you're backstage, listening to the acts that go on before you, uh, because you're right, you just, it ties the room together. And what has happened is even if the acts that go on before you, this is what I found uh, in my very limited experience, even if the acts that go before you aren't that great, if you can do a callback to one of their jokes, even if it wasn't a solid joke when they told it, the audience recognized that joke, recognizes that joke, and it makes them laugh even harder because you've done it. So unfortunately, yeah. standing on the necks of the comedians that went before you, they're probably bombed. 
but hey, who cares about them? They had their chance, right? So um, yeah, I mean, it does it does take confidence because I remember in the beginning I was so nervous that I couldn't do that. Like I was just there, like I just I just want to remember what I'm gonna say and not throw up on stage, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but once you are comfortable with your material and and audience and that kind of stuff, then you can play around a bit, and you can also play around with your presence. You know, like I know some comedians that'll uh, maybe try deadpan, like change their styles up a bit. Um, same jokes, but just deliver them differently and then just doing those little changes. Or this is one guy I know, he pretends to be American. <laughs> like he fully starts off with an American accent. They introduce him like that. And then I'd say about mm, three minutes in, he's like, nah, I'm just messing with you. I'm actually British. And then and then that just that change gets like an elevation to the thing. So there's lots of things you can do to to, to play with openings and stuff like that. Oh, that's um. Thank you. You've just given me a great opening for mine now. So, because <laughs> uh, I'm 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 half Nigerian and I grew okay. up in Nigeria, so uh, I I can do the Nigerian accent. I I have a Nigerian accent when I talk to my family. So that's great because now I can start that way, and then halfway through, just say, "Now nah, I'm just messing with you guys. This is my accent," and then just go, go for it, man. That would be great. Yeah, I mean, I'm South African, so uh, yeah. I I get that. I. Uh, depending on one so in our comedy class one of the things that they they were saying was um you basically had to just sit there and then people they asked everybody around the room just give me an observation about this person right without you opening your mouth and then they'll name some things and they're like listen understand that this is what people are seeing so either you work with that in your material or you address it and like move on. So if I've got a South African accent, some people have thick accents in, in the class that we were with. Um, they're like, you need to address it like up front, say something about it, make a little quip or whatever, just so that you get people not wondering and gives them a chance to tune into the, to the accent as well, that kind of stuff. So I think that would be awesome. Man. I'd be, I'd dig to see that. I'll test it out. I'll see if I can. If I can <laughs> it, it, it comes out easier when I'm talking to Nigerian people, someone in Nigeria, yeah. yeah so, uh, so I'll I'll bring my brother as a prop every time. I'm just gonna put him in the office, <laughs> have a quick conversation with him, and I'll just run on stage, and then just keep talking like this, like a Nigerian, because I can just flow into it. And then when I start, and then I can switch it back to this. Let's see how that goes. I'll just. Like, I've got a bit where I do a really bad Nigerian accent, and I know it's bad, but I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> see, now I want to hear the Nigerian accent. <laughs> I can't do a South African accent to save my life. I went into an audition. Um, they were like, you're, you're from Africa, right? I'm like, yeah. They're like, okay, so this casting is for South African. So it's for oh. South Africa TV. Can you do a South African accent? I was like, no, I'm a Nigerian. Completely <laughs> different accent. It's like, it's all Africa. Yes, it's a gigantic continent. Completely different yeah. countries. Not yeah, America. I hate that, man. I mean, but they let Leo do it. So I'm sure you could be... <laughs> Yes, Leo DiCaprio, <laughs> uh, raggedy blood diamond, five different country accent. <laughs> Are you telling me that wasn't authentic? It it was. I I thought it was oh, <laughs> from a white American. No ways. How dare I? <laughs> uh, all right, let's jump back into some of the questions, and then we'll, I'll go back to your number three and four. There's one more question, and back to your number three and four and uh, three and two favorite comedy movies. So, um, mm. think of all of the comedians you've ever heard of, you've seen. And I want you to give me the name of not your your most or not your but the most underrated comedian, dead or alive, in your opinion. Um, I mean, there's lots. I mean, the the thing about comedy is it's just like music or whatever. You know, there's a lot of people doing it, a lot of people with a lot of talent, but it takes more than just talent to you know be recognized and known and 
uh, be rated as being good. So I'm South African, so I'm going to go with a South African. Um, Luisa Gola, he's in London. Um, he is, I think he moved here like two years ago or something like that. He's Emmy nominated like TV shows in South Africa. Um, he actually was in the same like class as Trevor Noah, as in they were they came up similar times. Um, but Trevor went uh, overseas before he did, and then obviously just blew up, and now he's like the host of the Daily Show. But a lot of people back home reckon that Luis is probably funnier um, than Trevor. So. If I had to choose anybody in the world, I'd probably say Luis Agola. There's a ton of South African conveners that nobody's ever heard of that I could mention. <laughs> While I've been here in the UK, I've seen a couple of interesting acts as well. And uh, one of my favorite guys is Mike Rice and Aaron McCann, two Irish guys. Um, crazy funny guys. They're definitely bigger than they are, if that makes sense. Like funnier and have stage presence than the level that they're um, uh, doing stuff at. But I reckon in the next five years or something, people will definitely know those names uh, and some people know Luisa as well but he's not as big as he should be if that makes sense that's fantastic thank you for giving me those three I asked for one but it's okay I'll take, <laughs> I'll take three I'll take three you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM I'm Marcus Iako and I'm here with McLarry comedian from South Africa who's in London at the moment and he's about to tell us his number three and two favorite comedy movies of all time. Let's start with three and move to two. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Ace Ventura, the original. Uh, right. So I think I just had Nature Calls, yeah. the original. I just, I mean, that was a classic, man. There's a lot of crazy stuff in there. Uh, you know, a movie that stays with you when you say the same lines from the movie for like years and years and it becomes some people's personalities. <laughs> That's that kind of movie. Like I still know some people that remind me of that movie and they still say the same thing. So, um, yeah. All right. So, so that was three. What about two? Um, Rush no, it's difficult. <laughs> I think so. I was, yeah, yeah. Two, no, two, I would say horrible bosses. Hmm. That was the first time in a while that I laughed out loud, like, for some time. In so that's movie, Jennifer you know, Aniston, like, um, oh, the guy from Ted uh, Ted Lasso. Um, yeah, like, those people. Uh, I'm not good with actors, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Where, uh, what's his name? Um, Jamie, Jamie Foxx played. Uh, yes. yes, Jamie yeah. Foxx. He, he's the, he's the hit, is he the hitman or is the one? Who yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Motherfucker Jones. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Colin Farrell, uh, J- uh, Kevin Spacey. Um, yeah, yeah. So I remember that. I remember. I remember the first one. I, I didn't get to see the second one, but I liked the first one. It was pretty good. I didn't watch the second one. And you know, sequels are never as. But the first one, I was just like, ha, "This is crazy." <laughs> and you know, the best movies are the ones that are like almost plausible. Like you know, like <laughs> yeah, you, you you can take an element of uh, relativity or relatability to it, and you're like, you know what? Yeah, I do have some. Yeah. I can, I can yeah, see why well. people are doing that. I can see that happening. Because <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. equally, uh, the ones that disturb me the most are the ones that aren't that far from it. So I don't know if you've ever watched um, Requiem for a Dream. Yes, 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 yes. Though so also one of my favorite movies, but because like the decisions that they made that ended up where they ended up. Yeah. They were little, like very plausible choices like along the way. And then you see the beginning and the end, you're like, oh my goodness, this is terrible and i'm like okay yeah yeah that's, that's never, one of those empty huh? i've never met anybody who has said requiem for a dream is one of their favorite movies because that movie scarred me hard but 
but that's why, yes, right? So for me to make it into my list, you have to remember it and you have to remember it for a long time and it has to affect you and impact your life, right? That's a that's a top movie for me. So so that's why it it's one of those keep me on the right side of the tracks. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, that's how you tell your kids you're like, right? If you, if, you know, you want to end up like you want to end up like Marlon Wayans in that in that film, then if you don't, then don't do drugs, stay in school. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, right. it was mad, man. So let's get back onto the comedy, uh, comedy tip. Let's see, uh, let's say, okay, so you've got you've been through it, you've done the comedy, the aspiring comedy thing, you've made that first step, and you've started doing gigs. What would you tell an aspiring comedian? Imagine you had to look back at yourself just as you were about to start. What advice, what one key piece of advice would you give an aspiring comedian today? Um, so I am a, a, a pops and I am a, uh, I've got a full-time job that's pretty hectic. Um, I find it quite difficult to manage everything, uh, you know, all my ambitions and stuff and, and the comedy career. And when I asked lots of different comedians about like what the amount of gigs is that you should be doing and, you know, to, to get somewhere to make it. And you get all kinds of different answers. Some people like a gajillion and some people like, you know, whatever. Uh, but the best advice I got from all of those things was someone told me, Hey, not all gigs are the same. Um, so even if you do a thousand of the gigs where the environment isn't right for comedy, people aren't there for comedy, they're for, for food or whatever. There's a lot of gigs like that. They're distracted. Uh, you're jo- you know, you're struggling just to get your jokes to land, and you know you're you're basically fighting the entire setup. Um, that's not the same as like one other gig where people are there to watch and listen, and you get real feedback from an audience. So don't do every gig is the <laughs> that bit of advice. Um, and then on top of that was make sure that you learn from every single gig. So every gig that you do. Uh, sit back, watch your clips, think about it, move some pieces around, um, but use every opportunity you can get. And then obviously my question was around time management because I was struggling and I still am. Um, they were like, do as much as you can with given all of your things, uh, but make sure that every gig is a quality gig for you and that, um, yeah, you're not just saying yes because it's a you know a buddy or whatever I've done. I've done some, I don't even pretend. Like I haven't done shit gigs. I've done some shit gigs and I will do some shit gigs. <laughs> but uh, try and, and make every, every single gig count. Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest piece of advice I got. That's great advice. Uh, and I know what you mean about the, the shit gigs because it's like you're doing it and while you're while you're there, you're like, I don't I don't know why I'm here doing this. It's not either the room is not the right group. It's not, you know, the atmosphere is wrong not the same kind of people that you really want to be doing comedy for. They, they're not your audience, you know, like if you're a character act, for example, it's not the same kind of people, that kind of stuff. I'd say be careful with trying to cater to audiences because it, dep- well, it depends what kind of a comedian you want to be. Um, I, so I'm South African. There's a lot of race-driven stuff that's part of my identity, right? When you're on stage, you do you. You, you know, you're telling your story. Um so I wouldn't feel genuine if I wasn't doing race stuff, but I struggle to do it here uh, in the UK because you look at an audience and depending on the mix, it lands differently depending on the you know ratio of uh, people of color to non-people of color. But I want to be a comedian that can step into any room and make them laugh. And, and I want to find those lines where I can talk about the race stuff. I'm still playing with it. I've gigged in South Africa as well, and it's much easier to do there because 
it's just part of the the you know the cultural identity for everybody and it's part of the norms and we talk about it openly not everybody likes that yeah <laughs> i get that that's fine but i much prefer that to the like you know uh quiet undertone stuff that's here in the uk um so i try not to as much as you do want your audience and you have to have your audience um and you know that's your currency basically in comedy uh i try to be as universal as possible at the same time which is like a very difficult balancing act because you don't want to lose yourself and i think it's the struggle i'm sure you've heard of people talking about like finding your voice right it's that kind of thing you know like the line between um your natural sense of humor and connecting with audiences that will get that and then also making sure that you can have a big enough audience base that you don't put yourself in too much of a niche that it's only you and your buddies and you know five other people because i if i really want to do i can go extreme and i've had gigs that didn't go well at all because i was like all the way <laughs> into like my very niche sense of humor and then you try and find a middle ground so that you know other people can also uh laugh with you yeah it's still still in in the works i guess do you do you um look for um, or have you thought about looking for a uh, the South African community in London and seeing if there is a possibility of doing gigs for, you know, catered to South Africans in London? I'm thinking about it. It's something I've been thinking about for a long time. Uh, it's a little bit complicated because post-apartheid, uh, there was a large exodus from South Africa. Um, and a lot of those people went to London and Australia. And let me just say they're a different kind of South African to me. <laughs> um, so I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm like on none of the Facebook groups and all this stuff because I know the kind of people that left when things changed. They were like, oh, country's gone to crap. So, <laughs> uh, so I'll see. Um, it depends on the South Africans that I hang about. I've already, I don't know if you've seen my Instagram clips, but I had a group of them in one of the gigs that I did and they were causing a ruckus and all that stuff. And I was like, hey, you're making us look bad, man. <laughs> like immediately. <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen a number of your, your your clips. And it's just like, yeah, those ones that those ones are the ones who were quite bitter at the fact that they had to leave. And so it's like, yeah, they don't want to be through you. It's like, look, we left because of you. So, exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's it's something I've been toying with actually. There's a there's another South African comedian in the circuit, Louis Pollock. Um, he's a white dude, and uh, I thought that with him and me together, then we kind of have two sides of the story, and we could do something. But yeah, no, oh, that'd be fantastic. You, the both of you can go up to Edinburgh and do Edinburgh Fringe together. That would be fantastic. I was thinking about it, but he's already doing a fringe with someone else. I might do another one at some point. But knee, yeah. kneecap the other guy. It's fun. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> don't, don't, because this is evidence that I've asked you. I've, I've suggested you uh, commit a crime. So I'm just saying, no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, let, let me ask one of the last major questions that I ask all comedians to come on the show. Um, what does success in stand-up comedy look like to you? So I'm not, I'm, I know obviously there's the general success that people tend to have. But for you, what is your specific idea of what success in stand-up comedy is? Look, I love comedy. Um, like I said, I've been watching it for a long time and wanted to do it for a long time. And I want it to be my career. Um, so in short, I want it to be what I do full-time for a living. Um, that being said, I did mention I've got a, a decent-ish day job. Um, and I've been asking around about like you know what actual salaries and things look like and and what levels and you know what kind of lifestyle you can have both here and at home um to see what then 
success in monetary terms as well as in you know fulfillment <laughs> uh, looks like and um what it looks like is it's going to take a while for me to make that transition i mean a long while <laughs> for comedy to catch up with like my day job um obviously like netflix special and that kind of stuff not necessarily for the for the fame in fact i'd if i could be a you know a netflix comedian without the fame i'd take it hands down uh but unfortunately you got to build an audience base and all that kind of stuff for that stuff to work um but it's more for the fact that i want my piece in history you know i want my comedy to be a thing that's there you can point to and be like oh yeah i did that thing um and people enjoyed it so it's uh you know the big the big stuff the netflix special stadiums that kind of stuff uh in the long term um and then obviously the, the steps along the way so getting into the better clubs here doing some festivals doing some bigger shows um doing some international festivals i'm lucky enough that i get to gig in south africa as well so uh that does help because you ch i change up my style and it, it just be, you know you become a better um comedian i think when you when you have to do it in a different environment actually starting out in the uk is probably the best thing i could do because there is no sense of common sense if that makes sense so you know you you have to find that line between relating to the punch and the premises uh, without over explaining and ruining the whole joke and in a context that other people aren't familiar with so you have to figure out all those dynamics whilst you're trying to do your thing um so in, in that essence it was good that i started in an unfamiliar environment because when i get home i can just drop a, a word or two and they're like ha 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 yeah we get it uh like literally a word and people will be like oh you did that um but but here uh, i have to do spend a lot more time and effort to translate the ideas in my head to something that's going to relate to a british audience so how um, often do you go back to south africa to perform uh i try and go twice a year i go just because sanity but when i'm there <laughs> I also perform, but during the pandemic, um, I was not able to go. Um, so yeah, it's only a couple times since I've started because I started just before the pandemic. But yeah, I try and go twice a year. Excellent. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm here with McLarry, the comedian who was talking to me about um, comedy, his comedy journey, as well as his top five favorite comedy movies he's about to tell me number one i think i already know what it is <laughs> it's been going but i'm gonna let him say what it is mclarry what is your number one favorite comedy movie that's gonna have to be rush hour man yeah it uh just was one of those i don't know it it kind of put your thoughts and your some of some of your in my internal care like the way i am with my friends on screen Right. And then there's some of the jokes that you would say, and even though some of them were old and cheesy or whatever, it was just like raw funny. If that, I don't know, like that's so it's stuck in my mind when, when I, when I saw the questions, I was like, yeah, for sure, that's going to be uh, the movie that um, does it. I mean, you could easily go coming to America and all the other kind of stuff, like the original stuff, but uh, I, that was the one where. I just laugh for a long time and I can watch it a thousand times over now and still enjoy it. So you're right. And Rush Hour doesn't get the nearly enough of the props that it should get. I mean, even down to the soundtrack, when you hear the the Drew Hill uh uh um how deep is your love for me? You hear that and immediately. It's just like for those of us who are like '90s kids, you know, like you know, we we hit our stride in the '90s. I hear that song and it's just immediately straight away. I'm thinking, 
I'm thinking Chris Tucker in the car with Jackie Chan. And it's like, don't you know, don't you ever touch a black man's stereo? And like, okay, <laughs> that's yes, that's 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 my my sense of humor. Uh McLarry, uh, are you doing any shows that are coming up that people can go and listen to, can watch? Uh, and also what are your social media tags so people can follow you and see how funny you are? I'm gonna go on my social media tag right now to answer the question. So uh McLarry underscore comedy on Instagram. Um M-A-C-L-A-R-R-Y. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, I'm doing a couple of gigs. Let me just, I put them up on um, Insta the other day so that I can remember. Uh, tomorrow, South Ken, Covent Garden Comedy Cellar on the 7th, Brixton Comedy Club on the 14th, South Ken on the 15th, uh, Show by Depressed Baker on the 17th in Manor Park, Happy Monday in New Cross on the 19th, Gap Tooth in Pimlico on the 20th, Streatham Common on the 25th. Wow, those are my a whole bunch of gigs lined up. That's that's fantastic. Um, but it's it's great to see. I've I caught some of your comedy on Instagram. I think you're a very 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 funny. I'd love to be gigging with you at some point. Uh, and uh, hopefully you can like I, I I still think you have you need to go on kneecap. I don't think you should, but I think you should <laughs> kneecap the other guy so that you have your your black and white South Africans going up to Edinburgh Fringe. I think you'd kill. So. We'll we'll get it right one day. Thank you very much for joining me on this. Uh, like I said, this is going to be going out not only on the YouTube channel, but also on our radio show. As soon as I've got a, the episode ready, I'll let you know so you can get it as well. Cool, man. Thanks so much. Uh, looking forward to seeing you in the circuit. Absolutely. Same back to you. And that was my conversation with the comedian Mick Larry. Uh, a lot of sequels that we talked about um, in because in, as soon as I was having a conversation with him, at, tons of comedy films were popping through my head. And I was going to say, hey, you could pick this, you could pick this. But it wasn't me putting my top five because obviously we know, oh, brother, where art that would have been there. And I'm uh, you know, pretty sure that would have just derailed the entire interview. Uh, but yeah. So thank you all very much for listening to us. We always like to thank you. Uh, constantly for tuning in, listen to us ramble about our films and television show interests. Uh, and if you weren't listening, I wouldn't be doing this. And like I always say to Resonance FM, Resonance, thank you for not listening. Otherwise, if you did listen, we wouldn't be doing this. So thank you for not listening and for letting us uh, ruin your airwaves with our rambles. The, the next episode, we're going to be talking about She-Hulk. I was going to vent... M- uh, okay, I guess I'll, I'll say I was, I was going to try and make it real sneaky and say what my uh, my feelings about She-Hulk was going to be, but no. Um, n- the next episode is going to be if you don't want to listen to the, if you don't want to hear me vent about She-Hulk, then just skip the next episode because I, that's what I'm going to be doing. I, I'm I'm just telling you right now. I'm just yeah, no, 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 no. You don't want to skip the next episode. We want you to tune in. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's fair warning. It's fair warning. They're gonna be spoilers of plenty for She-Hulk, and I'm going. We'll just see. We'll just see. Anyway, I have been Marcus E. Ako, and I'm still producer Dave. Saying so thank you very much for listening, and speak to you all next time. Say goodbye. Sh- say goodbye, She-Hulk. Say goodbye, Baby Hulk. Yeah, Baby Hulk. Say goodbye. Hi. Right, goodbye. Bye.